You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points Podcast. I'm your host, Greg White. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series, a collection of audio, video, and written commentary from Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets leaders designed to provide you with timely insights and analysis. Surprise, surprise. The Canadian banks beat the street once again, and analysts make significant upward revisions to forward-looking earnings estimates into 2022. Canadians have increased their savings throughout the pandemic, and the pent-up consumer demand is poised to support continuing performance in the banking sector. On this episode of Market Points, we welcome back Manny Grauman, Managing Director covering Canadian financial services at Scotiabank, and we talk about the strength of the sector and why he is so bullish on the banks. Hi, Manny. Great to have you back on the podcast. Thanks a lot. This is uh, turning out to be a quarterly events. So I'm happy to be here again talking about banks. And what an incredible quarter it's been for the Canadian banks. Why don't you kick us off with uh, with a summary? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a very good news story. So it's nice to be the bearer of good news. The Canadian banks reported much better than expected results. If you look on average, the banks beat consensus expectations by 26%. I think at the bottom end, the smallest beat was 18%. At the top end, it was over 40%. So Really, we're seeing a significant overshooting of expectations. And if you look into the details, certainly a normalization in loan loss provisions is part of the story, but it's not just a credit story. It also is a revenue story. Revenue is definitely recovering faster than expected. We saw some good indicators on fee income in particular. Capital markets continues to be strong in the mortgage market. The domestic mortgage market is on fire. The housing market really is something else. Um, So you wouldn't even be able to tell that there's a pandemic going on if you look at what's going on in Canadian housing. It's overall a very good news story. That's interesting that you mentioned housing as a support for for the banking sector. Do you ever question the stability of the housing boom? You know, that's an interesting question. It comes in and out of fashion, depending on how hot the housing market is. So definitely we're Getting that question more these days, I think people are thinking about it more. The reality is, is that the elements of what's driving the housing market right now are pretty clear. And I think uh, uh, it's really an outgrowth of that. You have very low rates. You have a pandemic that is causing a lot of people to question their current living arrangements. There's also issues of supply, which is also impacting pricing. What we see in particular that's encouraging, not just for the housing market and helps explain it, but also something that really indicates that we have a lot of pent up demand and and really gets us excited about the post-pandemic economy and and the kind of booming uh, economy that we're likely to see coming out of the pandemic really is the fact that if you look at savings rates, they're really climbing to record levels. If you look at deposits, both on the consumer and the business side, you're seeing huge increases in deposits. And I think what that really means is that for a lot of people, again, you know, they are just accumulating savings. There's uh, not a lot of things to spend your money on these days, especially not a lot of big ticket items like travel and, and going out to eat. Certain, certain key areas of, of the economy really are, are closed off to spending. So that's really accumulating in people's accounts. And I think at a certain point here, and the banks have all talked about this to, to a greater or lesser extent. At some point, a lot of that spending is going to be unleashed. And, and so that gives us confidence in 
the post-pandemic recovery, which is what really investors are, are focused on now. Not so much the pandemic, but what the recovery is going to look like. Okay, so the bank results are strong. Uh, they've once again beaten analyst expectations, uh, which has become a bit of a recurring theme here. So when you're thinking about your initial estimates for Q1, do you feel the street was justified in staying as conservative as they were? Yeah, I think when you see the quantum of beats that we saw in Q1, and you're right, uh, we've seen beats uh, for a number of quarters now. And the fact that you know these beats to analyst expectations have not just been a factor for, for this past quarter, but also for a number of quarters in the past, definitely can raise questions about what analysts were thinking. But I'd like to step up and defend the honor of, of my profession here and say, I think a lot of the, the miss with, uh, with what we actually are seeing in terms of results, so the, the gap between analyst expectations and results really is a function of two things. One, the pandemic is unprecedented. And so it's very hard for analysts to think through the implications of something on this scale that we've never seen before. So that's that's one thing. The other point I'd make is that analysts certainly have been wrong. They've been too pessimistic, but they've been too pessimistic really in terms of the order of magnitude, not so much directionally. Certainly early on in the pandemic, many of us thought that we would see very significant hits to the economy. But very quickly, the story that emerged uh, was something that uh, we all saw very clearly, which was that the pandemic, as, as I talked before, was unique in, in, in that it wasn't hitting all parts of the economy equally, and that overall, broadly speaking, it was having definitely less of an impact than what uh, we initially thought. So. Analysts have been assuming that the banks were on a pretty strong footing for most of this pandemic and had been assuming as well that they would start to come out of this crisis period and and that the results would look a lot better. It's just really the speed of that normalization has caught us uh, by surprise. But I would say I think after seeing Q1 results, there is definitely more of an appreciation that uh, our expectations need to get a lot more aggressive. And of course, then on the backs of that, you, you've had right across the street um, upwards revisions on forward-looking earnings. So what does it look like for the banks in, in fiscal 21 and, and 22 now? Well, so if, if you look at just the, the quantum of the revisions, I can't think of another time, another quarter where we've seen such large revisions. If I just focus on consensus, not my numbers, but just the street as a whole, coming out of Q1 reporting, the street took up its 2021 EPS estimates by about 13% and its 2022 EPS estimates by about 8%. So again, these are very big revisions when you look at them uh, historically. Revisions tend to be a lot smaller. So the street was wrong. We've tried to, to fix that and, and definitely adjusted our numbers significantly higher. Right now, if you look at what that means in terms of year-over-year -year earnings growth, so consensus is looking for 27% earnings growth in 2021 and 5% earnings growth in 2022. And I would say the 5% in 2022 to me still looks quite light. I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic that that number could be quite higher. The downside is, is small in my estimation and the upside is, is big. And things that could take that number higher are higher rates. If margins expand, I don't think 
a lot of the street estimates are really baking in anything significant in terms of higher rates and what that means for expanding bank margins. I think another key area where we could see very significant upside to that uh, uh, for the banks really is uh, related to credit and the, the potential for significant recoveries. So basically for allowances to to come back uh, in, into earnings in a very significant way and, and to boost uh, and to boost numbers that way. So there's been significant revisions uh, for forward-looking earnings. Do you feel that the street is now going to be a lot closer on the mark with respect to estimates for uh, 2021? I would like to think so. Again, the quantum of the revision is big, so I think definitely the street is catching up. But having said that, you know, I talked about reasons for optimism, reasons why 2022 numbers could be a lot higher. But I think even 2021 numbers, to be honest, could be higher. I think the dynamic here, which is very positive for the stocks, very positive for, for the shareholders, is whenever you have a dynamic where the street is constantly chasing the actual numbers, that, that's a very good position for the stocks to be in. And I think we're still going to be in that position to some extent. I definitely don't think we've overshot even in 21. So positive earnings revisions are probably still the name of the game as we look to Q2 and beyond. We've spoken about the bank's excess capital in previous episodes as well. And now we've got all this continued strength. So do you feel they're going to relax capital requirements? And if so, how are the banks going to deploy? So this is an important point because Beyond stronger earnings, what we also have is stronger capital positions, and that means a lot of excess capital. And the question becomes, how do banks deploy that excess capital? I still think that buybacks will be the avenue of choice for most banks. Um, you know, some banks, TD in particular, M&A risk is is probably elevated, but uh, beyond TD and maybe BMO, M&A is really not on the main menu right now for for most banks. So. The way they'd like to deal with excess capital is largely through buybacks. Right now, OSFI has a moratorium on buybacks and also on dividend increases. It put that moratorium in right when, when the pandemic started. And at that time, it was a very prudent move. We saw other jurisdictions make similar uh, rule changes uh, and make similar requirements on, on their banks. We're at the point here where I think it's it's harder to justify. All we know is that OSFI has told us that they will adjust that rule when they see a more sustainable recovery taking place. I think based on the strength of the Q1 results, based on the fact that we have credible vaccines that are being rolled out, they're sure they're being rolled out on a, at a slower pace in Canada relative to the U.S. and relative to a large number of other jurisdictions, unfortunately. But... The bottom line is that those vaccines are making their way into people's arms. So I think there is a lot of reason to be hopeful, a lot of reason to say, yes, we are seeing a recovery take place. And I think that OSFI will come to that conclusion sooner rather than later. My current thinking is that OSFI will allow buybacks and dividend increases by the middle of this year. So call it, you know, roughly around June. And uh, again, we don't know for sure. This is this is speculation, but it's based on conversations I have with a lot of uh, a lot of investors, a lot of bank executives. I I think that it's a very realistic expectation. And the final point I'll make there: it's still an expectation that is a little bit out of step 
with consensus. So I think if you look at consensus, most people are still assuming that uh, that OSFI only allows buybacks and dividend increases by the end of the year, maybe early 2022. I think it's going to happen a lot sooner. Well, assumingly, the, the market has digested a, a lot of this information. And of course, you, you don't cover Scotia, but um, you, you, you have sector outperforms pretty much across the board. You have TD at, at sector perform. So what's maintaining the, the real bullishness here for the sector for you? The, the bullishness uh, for the banks, and I, and I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, we like, as analysts, we like to talk about individual banks and compare individual banks together. But I would say, broadly speaking, my view is you buy the banks, and that, that's sort of a, a broad statement across the, the sector. I think what's driving that is that we are seeing the emergence of a very powerful economic recovery here. And it's only going to pick up steam. And in this kind of environment, banks have a lot of upside leverage to expanding GDP. Credit is uh, a tailwind for the banks. There's a lot of pieces coming together here that suggest that the banks can do very, very well in this environment. And not just over a few quarters, but even into 2022. And so when you look at all that together, you know, this is really a very, very good time uh, for bank investors, for people to look at the banks. You know, if you look at valuation right now on consensus, the banks are trading at about, call it 10 and a half times uh, consensus 2022 earnings. And, I, and, and as I mentioned, I think those earnings numbers can still go higher. So arguably that multiple is even lower. Historically, the banks have traded at a little bit over 11 times forward earnings. So there's you know, the banks, I think you could safely say, are inexpensive on a historical valuation basis. And there's a lot of upside here. So I'm, I'm very bullish. Well, we've reached our final question. Same as always. What's your top pick? You know, I've, I've been focused on CIBC as a favorite for a while, and I'm sticking with it. CIBC put up very impressive results in Q1. In particular, one key issue that has really dominated the discussion on CIBC, the turnaround in its Canadian personal small business banking unit. That unit delivered very, very strong results uh, in Q1. We're seeing a lot of progress, arguably a step function in terms of the kind of progress that we're seeing from that business, especially in the mortgage business. Mortgage growth for Q1 came in at 8% year over year. Originations hit 17 billion, which is up 21% sequentially. We saw good fee income momentum on a sequential basis from that business. So the turnaround at CIBC continues to happen. And as I said, the momentum is actually building in terms of that turnaround. And this is a bank that trades at the widest discount to the group among the big six. So I think there's a lot of value there and a lot of encouraging signs. That was Manny Grauman, Managing Director covering Canadian Financial Services at Scotiabank. You can now find Scotiabank's Market Points on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And we want to hear from you. Please rate and review the show. Your feedback helps us improve the content we create for you. You'll find more thought-leading content on our website, gbm.scotiabank.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ScotiabankGBM, as well as our LinkedIn showcase page under Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website. 
I'm Greg White. Thanks for listening.